Welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights with Tim Lawless. I'm your host, Sartan Smiles. This is where you will get the most up-to-date information on what is happening across the country in the property market. Our data is underpinned by CoreLogic. Tim Lawless is the leading expert on the real estate market, and REIP is a collective of real estate industry leaders committed to uniting and empowering the industry and our clients. Please enjoy this month's Market Insights. Hello and welcome to REIP CoreLogic Market Insights. I'm your host, Sadna Smiles, and with me is the Head of Research at CoreLogic, Tim Lawless. Hey, Tim, how are you? Uh, really well, Sadna. Thank you. I hope you're going well there in, uh, in lockdown Melbourne and, and keeping sane. Yes, I think our lockdown is has a never-ending sight to it until we're about 70 to 80% vaccinated. And I'm hoping that you guys in Queensland actually get on board the vaccination uh, train as well, because it doesn't seem to be the case at the moment, hey? Well, that's probably the silver lining of having uh, um, so many outbreaks in Melbourne. Everyone seems to be a little bit more proactive uh, to the vaccinations. We're like, you know, low 50% range across the state for, uh, for getting the first jab. So one of the lowest of, of any state. Yeah, well, fingers crossed that you don't get Delta and you get vaccinated. That's all. That's I think that's the lesson from New South Wales and Victoria. So, hey, the market after many months of record breaking, and you and I have sat here month after month talking about all the record breaking um, activity that the market has had. We've still had a broad-based rise of 1.5%. And it's been the lowest monthly rise since January this year, hasn't it? Yeah, so still, I mean, this is still a pretty strong rate of growth at one and a half percent, but it is easing. And we've been seeing this easing trend since March. It's something that you and I have been talking about a little bit is just this loss of momentum. And uh, I don't really think this has got a lot to do with COVID itself or the lockdowns. This is more about affordability. I mean, through, through the lockdowns, we've generally seen housing values remaining relatively resilient. Uh, lockdowns really tend to impact a lot more on listing numbers, to a lesser extent sales activity, but values not as much. I think this, this slow tapering is, is really just simply that fewer and fewer buyers are able to get into the market and, and raise a deposit at a time when, when housing prices are rising so quickly. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I think banks are finding it hard to keep keep up as well. I mean, I know a lot of people, and personally myself, you know, going out for lending at the moment, not only are the banks quite stringent, but they're taking a long time to get anything processed. Yeah, you'd have to expect lenders are becoming a little bit more cautious as well. We, we can see every time APRA or the RBA makes a statement, there's always something in there about maintaining lending standards and uh, really implying that, that, that risk of any sort of intervention around credit policy or another round of macro potential is, is just around the corner if there's any real slippage in, in the quality of lending. So I think we can probably see that in lenders becoming a little bit more reluctant to lend on low deposits or on high debt levels. So those debt to income ratios and loan to valuation ratios, I think are going to be critical to watch uh, over the coming months. Mm -hmm. Now, after the peak in March, which we saw, we're starting to see that price growth really starting to, to moderate. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, is affordability the key driver of this? I think it probably is. And uh, that, that peak in March was a peak rate of growth. So we're still seeing housing values rising, just not as fast as what they were back then. So I think you could describe this as a market that's still hot, but not red hot like it was back earlier this year. And uh, when you look at the factors that are probably contributing to that slowdown, affordability absolutely stands out to me, but there are a few other factors. You've, you've also got the fact that there's less 
stimulus, there's less fiscal support. Uh, we're seeing first home buyers now into negative growth territory as they move through that, that initial pull forward of demand and now they're moving through the downside. And then you've also got the fact that uh, owner-occupier lending has also started to ease off, just, just as we just, just discussed. Um, in fact, the, the, the level of credit growth over the three months to July was the lowest we've seen since the three months to July last year. So definitely seeing plenty of signs or, or more evidence that uh, the market's just starting to lose some of its uh, heat, which is probably a good thing for anybody out there looking to buy a property. Um, for sellers, you know, it is still extremely good selling conditions. So it's, it's a little bit of a sweet spot at the moment, I would say. Yeah, and we're still seeing low listing numbers on, on the market. Do you think this, this will continue? Because it has all year, hasn't it, um, that, that listing supply? This has been a trend throughout COVID, um, more than just this year. And uh, at the end of August, we're seeing the total number of active listings around the country was nearly 30% below the five-year average at a time when transactional activity was about 30% above the five-year average. So it really helps to explain this, uh, this upwards pressure on housing prices, that there's still this disconnect between how much advertised supply is out there and how much demand. You know, we are seeing some disruption to, to the listings flow as well through, through lockdowns, for example. You can see that in Sydney, the new listings trend would normally be starting to lift pretty strongly by now as we're getting into the early part of, of spring. Simply isn't happening. Uh, Melbourne, even more significant. And of course, in Melbourne, there's that added, I guess, uh, disincentive for prospective sellers that you can't go and physically inspect the property. At least in Sydney, you can have one-on-one -on -one private inspections, but in Melbourne, that isn't the case. And that does mean that uh, we are seeing a much steeper downwards trajectory in new stock being, or new listed stock being added to the Melbourne market. Mm. And, you know, we're talking about the Melbourne market and the Sydney market about, you know, certainly in Melbourne, inspections being allowed when we hit 70% vaccination, which is around the, we hope, 23rd of September. Sydney is slightly different where you are still allowed to do private one-on-one -on -one inspections, but we do have some issues within the LGAs. Yeah. I get the feeling that once we sort of get to that October, November mark, that the spring market's going to shift into the summer. It's, it's just going to be a summer sale market. Oh, you'd have to expect that spring is just going to be delayed. And yeah. arguably, there's a lot of pent-up supply that's been building up through these lockdowns. As we've seen, the new listing trends moving lower. You know, partly that's seasonal. But yeah, absolutely, you'd expect it to be ramping up by now. And I think that'll simply be delayed. To, to your points, this probably won't be really an early spring selling season, it may be uh, a late spring selling season or maybe even a summer selling season. Mm. So uh, um, just, just watch and uh, see, see what happens. I think as soon as we start to see restrictions easing, uh, particularly those property inspection rules, that's when we'll start to see vendors becoming a little bit more active. And maybe that'll be the first sign of we're starting to see some rebalancing between sellers and buyers because I'm not sure if we'll see the same level of, of bounce back in demand simply due to the affordability constraints we've been talking about as well. So mm. maybe that's what we're about to see. A little bit more heat coming out of the market is there's more advertised supply, but not necessarily a, a commensurate pickup in demand. Yeah, and we're starting to see the narrowing of the performance gap between houses and units as well. And again, I'm assuming affordability has a lot to do with this. Yeah, it seems like a, a conversation keeps coming back to affordability because it's becoming quite a pressing issue for a lot of people. And uh, 
I mean, just in the, the most expensive markets like, like Sydney, you've got a median price for a house that's getting close to $1.3 million now, typical price for a unit, um, about 825000 So that widening gap is really, I think, going to start deflecting more demand back into the medium to high density sector, simply because that's what people can afford to buy, as well as the fact that hopefully once we start getting more vaccinated and uh, restrictions ease, there is a little bit more willingness to, to choose a, um, a higher density housing option rather than at the moment, everybody seems to want a house either because it's uh, you know, a lower density, you have less shared amenity and so forth during the pandemic, but also people looking for larger housing where they can probably work remotely if they need to or, or spread out a bit. Yeah, and we've seen that in Melbourne, the regional areas in Melbourne are you know, starting to grow again. Uh, everyone's moving out of Melbourne or they're moving to Queensland if they're allowed in. Um, that, that we certainly see those trends happening here at the moment. Everyone I talk to is just on the move. Yeah, if you look at the strongest uh, markets around Melbourne, uh, well, in the metro area, it's the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. So, and you know, historically, li living out on the peninsula has generally had a longer commuting time, and uh, that's become less of a barrier for a lot of people simply because more and more people can work remotely. And I think there'll be some longevity to that remote working arrangement, probably. I don't think this is a new normal by any means, but I think uh, this will be a legacy of COVID is that we do have some more flexible working arrangements uh, for a lot of people in more knowledge-based types of industries. Mm. And auction clearance rates because of the Victorian and New South Wales lockdowns have trended lower than what they normally would be at this time of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly in Melbourne. And this is a really another reflection of the different rules around property inspections. Uh, we've seen a lot more properties that were scheduled to go to auction in Melbourne being withdrawn, which of course counts as a negative result. So Melbourne's clearance rate the last couple of weeks has been down in sort of the, the, the high to mid to high 40% range. The last time we saw that was back in the earlier part of COVID uh, when, when the national uh, everyone was in lockdown. So if you look at just the auctions that uh, have actually proceeded, so I guess adjusting for withdrawn auctions, most of those auctions are still actually selling. Uh, so it is still looking like a pretty strong auction market for those vendors that are willing to go ahead. But the dynamic has really changed. We're seeing a lot more auctions selling before the auction event itself. They're actually selling um, prior to the auction as vendors get really good offers. Uh, rather than under the hammer. So in both Sydney and Melbourne, that's the, that sold prior rate is up around sort of the, the high, mid, mid to high 60% range, which is, is well above normal. Mm. And despite the fact that most of these auctions are being done, well, all of them across Sydney and um, New South Wales and Victoria are being done virtually, uh, there's, no, there's no vendor discounting. Well, there's very little vendor discounting that you're seeing, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and normally we, we look at vendor discounting and time of market as our private treaty metrics. And we're still seeing homes selling uh, across the capital cities in about 30 days, just up a little bit from, uh, from sort of March again, whereas more like 27, 28 days. And discounting rates are still holding pretty much at record lows. Again, across the capital cities, it's about 2.8%, meaning there's hardly any negotiation happening. And again, that's just really reflective of this being such a a seller's market where buyers don't have a lot of opportunity to negotiate. And if they try to negotiate too hard, generally the property cascades down to the next active buyer and, uh, and that, that buyer trying to get the property obviously needs to go back to the drawing board. And we know that property prices are rising you know, generally by, by more than a thousand bucks a week yeah. at the moment nationally. So you can see why there's some incentive for, for buyers to, to get in quick.
Yeah. Now we're starting to see some rent rises in in the rental market, um, and I know you know Melbourne and Sydney have been hit quite hard with this. But houses are still performing much better than units in in the rental sector. Absolutely, uh, pretty much across the board. There are a few exceptions, like Hobart is seeing a very strong unit market, probably driven by more mature age demographics, as well as um, uh, harsher affordability constraints in that area as well. But, you know, I was just crunching the numbers on that this morning, and even some of those really hard hit unit markets, the inner city of Melbourne and inner city of Sydney, they've actually started to see rents lifting a little bit in those high rise markets after some pretty steep falls, especially in like Melbourne CBD and South Bank those markets have seen rents fall by upwards of 25%. So it's probably a factor now where more renters are taking advantage of the sheer affordability of renting mm. an inner-city apartment than, uh, than anything else. So I guess encouraging to start to see those inner-city apartment markets that have been hit really hard from a rental perspective finally stabilising, if not actually showing a bit of growth in rents. Yeah, and hopefully once migration levels, you know, open up again and then <laughs> who knows when, uh, that'll change again. I've got no no hope of it happening in the next tw- in, in the next six months or so or even 12 months, really. Yeah, that's that's uh, the, the, one of the unknown unknowns, isn't it? Mm, so, it's very it's- much an unknown, it really. And it so depends on what the state the state um, leaders think as well, not not just federally. So it's 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 a double whammy. You know, federally they may think differently, but if you're you look at your state premier, she won't even let a Victorian in, let alone anyone from outside. Uh, we're hearing just just awful stories. Uh, you probably saw the yeah. story of a three-year-old child wanting to come back to his parents and they simply won't let him across the border. So yeah. some silly, silly rules out there and hopefully that, that becomes a thing of the past very soon. Yeah. Um, so the gross rental yields have fallen to an all-time low of 3.32% across the country. Yeah, and pretty much everywhere. There's only a few capital cities where where rental yields haven't reached a new record low, and that's typically in Perth and Darwin, where where rental markets have been much stronger. Um, Normally, we'd be talking about uh, record low yields in markets like Sydney and Melbourne, uh, where where values have risen so much more than rents. But now we're seeing every, uh, or virtually every other capital city, apart from the two I mentioned, are now also pushing to new record lows but nowhere near as low as Sydney and Melbourne. You know, Sydney, Sydney yields are now at 2.5% gross. You could probably net that out to around 1.5% to, to allow for uh, you know, vacancy and, and costs and so forth. So there is a big difference between yields across, uh, across the capitals. And my guess is investors will probably be targeting those cities where you get that, that nice blend of capital growth prospects and uh, good rental conditions and a relatively high yield. Brisbane, for example, even though it's at a record low yield, still gross yield of 4%. And uh, generally that implies uh, a lot more opportunities for a positive cash flow properties. Yeah, yeah. Now, we always talk about headwinds at the end of every one of our conversations. And and we and I think the headwinds will still be the affordability and credit tightening. Will they be anything else? Yeah, I'd probably put it in that order as well. I think housing affordability will just continue to, continue to grind away at the rate of growth and the level of participation in the market. Uh, we can't really see that reversing, uh, um, considering wages growth, tracking at around 1.7% per annum, mm-hmm. um, housing prices rising a little bit more than 18% per annum, so rising about 11 times more um, faster than, than income. So that's that's going to definitely be a factor that continues to impact on, on levels of activity. Um, uh, credit policies, not sure if, if that's uh, imminent or not. We're, we're actually seeing the level of investor credit growth has started to ease off 
a little bit when you look at um, uh, aggregate credit growth. It seems investors are paying down their debt quite quickly as well as um, getting new loans as well. So that's probably a bit of a comfort to regulators. But uh, my, my guess is when we see the June data coming through for uh, um, the credit statistics, we'll probably see another lift in debt to income ratios. Uh, at the moment, it's nearly one in five loans are being written with a debt to income ratio of more than six times, which I think will be a bit of a flag for APRA. Mm. So if we do start to see harsher credit policies, we know that will probably have a fairly immediate dampening effect on the market. And then longer term, obviously, it's it's more about interest rates. When when are they going to lift? Is it still going to be 2024 at the earliest, as, as a, according to the RBA? No doubt the uh, we'll see a negative GDP figure through September, probably a relatively soft figure through December quarter as well. That probably implies that interest rates will stay lower for longer and that 2024 forecast from the RBA is looking probably a little bit firmer now than, than it was, say, uh, six months ago. Mm. Tim, as always, thank you for your time. I can't believe it's it's August. It'll be interesting to see what happens in September with hopefully the easing of some restrictions in the two larger states. And we hope that, you know, WA and Queensland certainly don't fall uh, to Delta as the rest of us have. So um, we'll see what September brings, hey? Fingers crossed. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you then. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for joining us. Please take a few moments to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.